0: Hello friends, if you've been tuning in over the last couple of months, you've heard all about the Game Time app and how it can save you serious cash on last-minute tickets to sports, as well as concerts and all type of shows. It's one of those things that makes your ticket buying experience that much easier. You have your easy checkout system, you have the opportunity to see exactly where you'll be sitting if you select those tickets, and of course, you get the best deals on tickets, and right now, Game Time is hooking you up for the holidays with a ten dollars credit. Here's what you have to do: download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store, then click on My Tickets section of the app and create an account. Then, under Billing, redeem code The Athletic. Once again, that's The Athletic, all one word. For $10 off your first purchase. It's free money, people. Credit is only available to the first thousand people and it expires at the end of the year. That's December 31st, 2019. So make moves quick and score last minute tickets. And welcome into another episode of the Fieldhouse Files. I'm Scott Agnes. We're through 30 games already. It seems crazy um, that we, we've gotten to this point just fresh off a trip back from Milwaukee where the Pacers were handed their worst loss of the season. Um, it just shows, as I wrote on The Athletic, just kind of the gap that exists still from the Pacers who are clearly doing better than I think most predicted yeah, currently in sixth, only a half game out of fifth, right behind Philadelphia. Miami's obviously been the one surprise in the three-seed, but still, when you have Giannis, when you have that elite level like Milwaukee, right now they are playing the best basketball in the league winners of, of 21 of their last 22 games. They've handled the Pacers their two worst losses. They've held them under 40% in both games, so I think that was the important, but necessary realization coming um, from that game but hopefully you're listening to this podcast while you're traveling hopefully home and be able to be with family and pig out a little bit on food and uh, all of that good stuff but for this podcast I'll be joined by my producer as well as the host of the Brooklyn Nets podcast Mike Smeltz to kind of go through perhaps the 12 days the 12 questions For the Pacers, however we want to frame it, Mike, but I think this will be a fun, easy listen maybe for um, Pacer fans maybe on their flight or a long drive ahead of them back home. And God bless
1: all of you for going to all the different places that you want to go to during the holidays. Everyone knows it's absolutely a struggle, but it's worth (laughs) it. So if you're listening to us, we'll be sort of your guides of happiness as you go along because it is worth it once you get there. It'll be worth it, but right now it's probably not all that enjoyable.
0: <laughs> it's funny though you do say that because coming from Milwaukee, we're recording on December twenty third, probably the day before the mad rush. I would <laughs> presume if it happened hasn't happened already. First time ever, Mike. I'm in Milwaukee, and, and this goes for any airport. I walked to TSA pre check. The guy is just reading on his phone. There was not one person in line. It was glorious, oh and it was like it was eight thirty in the morning. So it was probably right after their early point in the morning. But anyway, yeah. that was incredible. No, I had no hurry to my gate. It was a breeze. That's where I do like the small airports like Indy, like Memphis, like Milwaukee. But anyway, not to sidetrack us too much.
1: No, if, if I was in that situation, I would almost get nervous because it isn't going poorly. You know what I mean? <laughs> like when you get into it, you're like, yeah. I'm expecting it to be so much worse than it is. And then you walk up there and you see just that one person. And you're thinking, Am I in the wrong area is what? It's like almost a bizarro world type situation, but I don't think the I don't think the airports are going to be like that uh, today tomorrow no. going into you know this whole week here I have, up.
0: I have a lot of sympathy though for the parents trying to see them struggle with extra bags and and a it's kid awesome, or two man. and they it's had a awesome. connecting flight with me in detroit like those sorts of things <laughs> and the realizations i haven't had to hit yet traveling by myself being single i have none of those concerns but i definitely feel for those parents that are like you know they're busting their butt they have this expensive flight home and and all the things that come along with it so it's good time and that's so. why
1: we're we're here to help you along this is this is your exactly. little
0: piece of enjoyment your little quiet time
1: listening about Pacers basketball
0: and i think for the most part pacer fans have to be ha- happy mike through this point i mean 20 wins and we're not even to january at the point in which most uh, fans i think tune in to NBA basketball after the NFL season. They already have 20 wins, and they're solidly there in that playoff picture. I think after the Pacers and six, then there's a big drop-off where it goes Brooklyn, Orlando, Charlotte for the next three spots.
1: So let me ask you, this will be my first question, my my 12 Christmas questions ahead of Christmas. The first one is do you think, not the players, but do you think the Pacers organization is surprised they're doing so well this early in the season, considering the number of injuries.
0: Yeah, they they do um, because of the injuries. And also, this hasn't really been talked about much, but because of the newness. Remember, there were nine new guys, an entire new core. Um, your backcourt, it's led by Malcolm Brogdon. He wasn't here last year he's playing at an all-star level Demontis Sabonis has raised his game we're still trying to figure out the tandem I think of Sabonis and Turner hadn't exactly worked we've seen some bright spots to this point but because of the newness because of some of the changes and because of those member those injuries that you hit on and that really impacted the team for the first month yeah I think we we're all surprised and that includes the coaching staff in the front office
1: So who gets credit? Like who is – what is the change agent or the agent of consistency even – like Who gets credit for this team being as good as they have been so early on in the season? Is this number two, or are you just active listening? And this is a this 1A. If okay. we're on the you know the outline chart, it's good with that. one So this is not
0: part of the one of the Christmas wishes. No, this so is a side I'll, get, I'll praise you for your active listening there. Um, <laughs> with all this, I think number one, it starts with the front office and the type of player that they bring into this organization because they're not just going to go on raw talent. There's a lot of guys— that don't clear their system. I know uh, I'm not going to speak in specifics here uh, with a name or two I know, but there's a guy in a draft about three years ago that a lot of fans were pushing for. He was an outstanding talent, but the Pacers didn't even consider him. They had a red line across his name. He just did not pass their clearance for everything, both in terms of health and in terms of personality and, and fit. And so a lot of this starts with the front office and the level of player. For example, a T.J. McConnell, not the most talented player, not a guy that you know necessarily wins you games by himself, but he is a culture setter. He is a guy that encourages others, brings a positive vibe, and brings a, a fun attitude, I think, into the workplace. Then one of the things I don't think Nate McMillan gets enough credit for, he's obviously a good coach, and a lot of people throw him under the bus first when things go sideways a little bit with this Pacers team. But the thing he has done exceptionally well the last two years, I think, is managing through the highs and lows and the drama, right? So... You had Victor's injury, and there really wasn't much of a drop-off until the postseason when talent wins out. They managed through that storm fairly well, and same goes like we just discussed in question one, and they've managed through this first 30 games quite well considering their circumstances.
1: So question two, most pleasant surprise. If you could target T.J. Warren, I don't know, Jeremy Lamb, Holiday is there someone or even Sabonis's continued sort of dominance? Is there one player that you would say, "Wow, this guy has gone from here to here"? I Mm -hmm. probably the biggest name is the one I didn't put in there is Brogdon. Who is the most pleasant surprise for the Pacers this season?
0: I'm going to split this one into an uh, A and B. For one, I'll go with a name player, one of the key guys, and it's clearly Malcolm Brogdon, a guy that's assumed the leadership role, embraced it, um, really took taken a command of this team, I think, uh, in the absence. He hadn't even practiced with Victor, and he has already taken um, kind of charge of this group happily, um, even though he's not that vocal guy by nature, he has become that way uh, as a, a strong leader, both with his performance too, because it, with his assist totals and the way he gets everyone involved. But then I also want to highlight one of the other guys, and I did not foresee TJ McConnell Let's make it two, or Justin Holiday having the type of impact mm-hmm. that they have had. Um, they've played in basically every single game. These guys are averaging at least seven points per game. With Justin Holiday, you speak to his defense, how he's probably the team's best defender on the wing, and how TJ McConnell kind of brings a nice burst of energy off the bench. Maybe you call him the Energizer Bunny um, for this group. And he also has been the best thing to happen to Doug McDermott. So those are a couple of the two highlights, the surprise Picks, I would say thus far you saw Sabonis you saw his numbers were going to rise just with a greater opportunity so to me that's not a surprise
1: so let's go into Sabonis for a second because the big sort of question hanging over the Pacers beyond Victor Oladipo's health would have been Sabonis or Turner Mm -hmm. do they have a future together or is there a defined you know big man to rule them all type situation where one of them has to go and one of them has to leave Are the Pacers any closer to figuring out that answer, whether these two have a future together or sort of one of them maybe does have to go for the other one to fully
0: succeed in the role that the Pacers need? To me, Mike, we're still incomplete. Um, I still want to see more. Uh, The the sad part to this point, I think, has been the fact that when they've played some of the teams that are dominant inside, they haven't been just as dominant. The teams that come to mind with those elite centers are Detroit, who they lost to several times, even though they're not a playoff team. And Blake didn't even play in those meetings. Um, Philadelphia with Joel Embiid also comes to mind there. I I still think we need to see more. Um, The guys are still working to adapt. I wrote a little bit about it. I think it was, yeah, it would have been last week, uh, about Miles gaining confidence through production. And and everyone gets their confidence from a different spot. Many, including myself, usually goes through preparation. And if you lead into your event or your story or whatever with that preparation where you feel like you know it, you can own it, that's where you can get the confidence. For Miles, he took a minute to think about it. And said, you know, for him it comes through production. So if he is not involved, if he looks up and has no points and one rebound after 12 minutes, he's probably going to hang his head, the attitude is probably going to drop, and he's probably not going to be as helpful and and, and, um, key for this team as he should be. Sabonis, he's Mr. Consistent. He never lacks confidence. Injuries are not going to sideline him. Um, And so with Sabonis, he's the most consistent guy um, but with Turner, I think he's also a guy, Mike, that impacts the game in ways beyond the box score, and that's something that a lot of fans don't want to get into. They look at the they look at the stat sheet, see Miles go, I don't know, three of five from the field with three rebounds, and demand more. And yes, he should, but that's not the whole story. So I'll say it's still incomplete, but. It's something that can be that way until I think the end of the season because everything about this group is set up for next year, including the return of Victor.
1: So we speak about Victor Oladipo, and of course, that's the largest question hanging over this team. And, you know, we had some Twitter questions come in about Victor himself. Um, I think it was here, it was Jake. Okay. Jake saying on Twitter, Hey, Scott, have, having seen him compete in scrimmages and practice, based off your knowledge of Vic, how far is he away from being back? the biggest question possible surrounding the team is is there is there even a date that kind of comes to your head not an exact date, but a time frame that makes the most sense
0: Well, I was saying a couple of year a couple of weeks ago this month was kind of ruled out that didn't make sense for them and their their current timeline um there is not one made public. I would guess if I had to venture a guess on something like this mid mid January I don't know why November's in my head mid January to <laughs> early February kind of seemed to make the most sense to me um it is something that they have they do not have set yet they continue to be in communication with Vic his doctor He's still due for a doctor's appointment here soon I know I talked about it about a month ago and I'm not something f- um, fell off there because he was due to have one at the end of November but all signs point to him doing well, feeling great, having no setbacks, so that is outstanding news. Um, I I don't think, and this is a question that many might follow up with, is does the team's play, um, how well they're doing, impact when and how he returns, and I don't think so. To answer my own question there, um, that's not something that necessarily they're in tune with or paying attention to. Victor is a separate issue. He will return when he and the team both believe that he is ready. Um, What has been fun to see in the brief limited time we've seen him in practice is he's playing full court. He's going against guys without hesitation. Kind of wary of that right leg, not as explosive with it. Um, He's doing that typical three where he races down the floor, stops abruptly, and launches a three. Um, Has gone into traffic and tried to maneuver around um, defenders, that's one area where he was, hasn't been quite quite the same, but I wouldn't expect for him um, to ha- have that same burst or, I don't know, maneuverability uh, around the rim like he does until next year. Um, but a, for a long-winded answer, I think we're getting closer, um, but no definitive date has been set by the Pacers internally.
1: So here's two questions for you, and both may be tough to figure out, but I think they're important ones. One is when Oladipo does come back, Will there be a minutes restriction, a sort of – he will be confined to only playing 20 minutes a game for the first month or something like that? Not maybe that definite, but again, is there some type of restriction going to be placed on him? And then two would be how do you think the team alters itself around Victor's comeback or is it more like Oladipo sort of has to fit into
0: the team at this moment because they're playing so well? So originally with with that, once he comes back, uh, there will be a learning curve for everyone. And I talked about how miles had to learn, right, how to compete and play with a lower production. I think that'll be true for most of these guys. Now, they all understand it, they all accept it. Um, But also keep in mind, uh, Victor has not played with TJ Warren, with Jeremy Lamb, with Malcolm Brogdon. So there's a lot of newness there. Now, one thing that's been good for him is he's been able to spend more time watching the game and breaking down film than ever before with all this time, right? Right. Um, But that's something that I'm expecting them to lose a couple games they shouldn't or for little circumstances like that to negatively impact their play in the short term. But it will pay dividends down the road. At least that's... I don't know why there wouldn't be because of that transition although this has been a team that has handled those transitions quite well. Uh you had a first question I I skipped over it.
1: Well it was the minutes restriction oh, yeah. on Min- Oladipo, yeah. Yeah, that's
0: right. Um at this point that has not been decided yet. Um I would not expect there to be a, a flat out minutes restriction setting him to, you know, 15 minutes or 23 minutes. I think with him how it will be it will an open dialogue between him and the trainer and then Nate just going off how he looks. And if he looks exhausted, which he probably will, because he can do all the cardio and riding a bicycle uh, all he wants. There's nothing, I always say, like basketball shape, being in game shape. And so it's going to take him a little bit. Um, and I, So I think it'll be purely off of how he feels and how he looks from Nate McMillan's standpoint.
1: Do you think so? This is not one of the Christmas questions, but should there be any concern that it's taking as long as it's taking, or do you think this is the timeline, ultimately the internal timeline about Victor Oladipo? Because it has felt like we've been hearing a lot about him practicing, him playing, you know, up and down the court, and we're hearing those things, but you're not hearing, all right, Oladipo is going to come back in you know January seventh or whatever it may be. Do you think he's on the appropriate timeline, or maybe there's a little concern
0: about how he's coming back? No concern is how okay. I see it. Uh, I think, honestly, the only reason that Kevin Pritchard put out the softball that, you know, we're t- perhaps a return in December or January, I think that's to kind of shut the media and, and fans up a little bit, give them a soft timeline to view. Um, because you, everybody needs a little bit of hope, right? That's part of a team is is selling hope and selling um, their future and selling their present. I think it, I was having this conversation with a a guy the other day. In part, that's the point of the draft lottery is to sell hope for a team like the Knicks who live in it every single year. If you restructure the draft, does that get rid of the hope for a team um, after they've lost you know thirteen of their first twenty games? Um, but with Victor, this they have been very deliberate. In this approach, they're not going to rush anything. They've said that from the very beginning. Um, And if I had to venture a guess at the beginning of the year, I would have said late January would have been my expectation, even knowing that that is 12 months from surgery, which was January 28th. And you've seen, uh, for instance, Tony Parker, he did come back in seven months, but he admitted later that that was forced and he was out of the league two years later. And again, I've said this a lot on various platforms, but this is a long game because Victor's only under contract one more year. It's about getting him right for good, not about getting him right for the next 20 games.
1: All right. Shifting completely off Victor Oladipo, because, again, that's we're just waiting for that to happen. We're waiting for the moment when we're going to get the news probably from your Twitter account. It's inevitable, but it's not closer around the corner. Right. (laughs) So speaking about this team specifically, as it's currently constructed, what would you say is their biggest worry, their biggest point of concern? Because we're going to get into a little bit of trade deadline stuff coming up. Yeah, What's the biggest worry surrounding this team at this moment?
0: I think it has to be Miles Turner. And mm-hmm. can you figure it out? Do you make it work? Do you, do you move on from him eventually? Um, is Sabon- Sabonis seems to be the answer inside, but he doesn't provide that quite – that rim protection, he's also not nearly as good defending pick and rules. But th- is this something they should commit to for another season? Or do they need to to alter their roster in some way where you don't have two centers um, in your starting lineup? Because I'm not sure if you can commit $40 million a year to that spot, which is essentially what they're doing. They're just playing them both at the same time. So it's not a significant concern, but I think it is probably their largest concern in the big picture of everything outside of Victor's health.
1: So then we shift to sort of trade deadline talk. Is this, is Pacers going to be active or do you think they're going, I mean, not that they will be inactive, but do you think because of how well they played to start the season, does that sort of put a little more pressure to say, hey, this team has a chance to compete in a muddled-up East besides the Bucs. Everyone knows the Bucs are at the top. And then there's a bunch of other teams. Sixers have been a disappointment relatively so far this year. The Celtics have been good, but they've also, at times, have not been all that great. The Pacers are right there with all of them, and they have the largest amount of talent that's about to be injected into their team, in Victor Oladipo returning within a month or so. Do Do you think there's any potential that maybe the Pacers kind of push all in here and make a big trade to push all in into the season. And again, in an East that's muddled up behind Milwaukee.
0: No, and I I don't see any value to it because I don't there wouldn't be a move they could do that would give them confidence i think that they could beat the bucks in seven games right that would, that would be the decision to rush it or move up a timeline and you don't even have victor back right um in the in the larger context of all this this has been one area where kevin pitcher the pacers president has really evolved and grown as an executive because when he was in portland he might he was a wheeler dealer he was a guy that would He loved the trade deadline and loved July free agency where he could make trades and deals and pick up assets and trade away picks, those sorts of things. Um, Very different approach here. He really wants to build continuity now with this new group. Um, He also wants to continue to add assets, and what I mean by that is um, picks moving forward. So if they made a move, I think it would be one of those, like last year, where they absorbed a couple of contracts and received a second round pick out of it. Then in the uh, during the draft, remember they moved off their second round pick for an upcoming pick. They moved off of their um, acquired second round pick that for some reason the Phoenix Suns gave to them. In addition to T.J. Warren, they moved that for three picks. That they then shoveled two of those off to Milwaukee for Malcolm Brogdon. So that's that's and that's exactly why he wants those assets to give them flexibility for trades and to, to have the possibility to draft guys. So, again, another long answer to a, a short question, but I do not see them being active. Their boost will be coming from Victor. That'll be their trade deadline acquisition. The holiday season is here, and if you're a football fan, that means it's bull season, as in well over 30 bowl games before the championship game set for January 6th. And if that's not enough to get you excited, the playoff push is underway for the pros. You need even more? The DraftKings Sportsbook app can get you in on all the action and more 24-7, 365 days a year. With so much going on this week, they have great promotions running every day. From odds boost to free bets, DraftKings has it all. And it's the final week of the pro football season, so be sure to get your bets in this weekend. And don't miss out on the bowl games happening all week long. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook will give new users a free bet just for signing up. It's no wonder the DraftKings Sportsbook app is America's top-rated sportsbook app. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code FAST. For a limited time, all new users can get a free bet when you sign up. Plus, when you make your first bet, you can get a risk-free bet up to $500. Don't forget, sign up with code FAST to place your first bet, and you can get a risk-free bet up to $500 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Indiana only. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. So then we go a little bit smaller here on the trade deadline. This is from Anthony. This is a really good question. So we have TJ
1: Leaf. Seems to be the odd man out of the rotation, according to Anthony, at least. Do you think there'll be interest for him in the trade market at all? Do you see if there are expendable players on this roster, who may they be? And is TJ Leaf amongst those
0: expendable players? I don't see it because he doesn't really have much value. I can't imagine <laughs> yeah. at this point. He has fallen out of the rotation uh, about a couple of weeks ago. The only time he's gotten in is during foul trouble or Uh, The other night in Milwaukee when the game was well in hand by 20 plus points and the Pacers have a back to back. So McMillan cleared his starters out um, earlier than he he might normally do. But Leaf's been a, a curious case because he's not that old. He would be a senior at UCLA right now when you consider it. He's 22 years old. He just hasn't really found his place yet. And in fairness to him, he hasn't really been given a huge or stable opportunity, a consistent opportunity, um, playing less than nine minutes per game. The the concern for him always was going to be a little bit defense and whether he could stay with his man. He doesn't have the quickness with his feet. Um, Could he gain some strength and battle a little bit in the post? We haven't really seen that. And then the most baffling thing in all of this, Mike, has been where he's lost all confidence in his three-point shot. And again, a lot of that comes with opportunity, and so if you're taking one a game or every three games, it's easy to lose. But that was one of his great strengths when the Pacers drafted him as he was potential to be their stretch four when they didn't have one on their roster, a guy that could go inside and play in the post offensively but could also move his guy out along the perimeter and bury three-pointers. He really hasn't done all that, and the Pacers have kind of stockpiled now with bigs when you look at Miles, Goga, Domas, even Jakar Sampson, now healthy, is playing ahead of him. So he is out of the rotation. I don't see you getting any value for him, not even probably a second-round pick. I can't even see right now getting. Um, they, do have, they did pick up his option for next year, which is his fourth year and final year of his rookie extension. Um, but I think it's one of those... If there's no interest, you're not going to get anything for him. No, I, I did right, laugh that this was uh, one of the pressing questions from one of the <laughs> from one of the oh, people on Twitter. You're asking about I don't know the twelfth man,
1: but it is like he was a first those, round
0: pick. In fairness, though,
1: it's one yeah it's one of those situations where a guy who who was talented coming out of high school, mm-hmm. uh, going to a high profile team, and then becoming a first round pick for a team that typically drafts pretty well, and with Leaf, it it becomes a situation where if you're Kevin Pritchard, you're thinking, well, I mean, I'm no no one's probably calling him about T.J. Leaf, and if they are, you become immediately suspicious about why they're calling you about T.J. Leaf because the only reason why they you would they would be is if they really believe that they could get something out of him that you can't, um, and and again, there's no there's not a market for Mr. Leaf.
0: And and to that point, Mike, excuse me here, you mentioned other teams are evaluating. That's one of the things the Pacers themselves with other teams do constantly. That's why they were so high on Victor and Domana Sabonis. Both of those guys, in their opinion, were playing out of position and they felt so uh, they were compelled with the opportunity to bring them to Indiana and play them and how and utilize them in ways they thought. So there's probably, there could be a couple teams out there that see TJ Leaf and, and think that they have a better way to use him and now that I think about it even more I could see him being a guy that if you did do a deal uh, he would help make contracts work and maybe you'd get a second round pick also he'd be included in the deal he would not be the featured guy in a deal is how I would envision something going down but I don't I don't expect anything to happen for the Pacers at the trade deadline with the outside chance of them maybe acquiring some kind of draft pick down the road
1: right and then so one thing that is probably coming up, and this is from Craig. Uh, he says, Sabonis seems to be playing at an all-star level. Is this his year? Right now, Scott, uh, diagnose whether Sabonis is going to be
0: an all-star this year. Do you, is that going to happen? I think so. He has yeah. been outstanding and reliable. I- I keep using those words, reliable, consistent, but that is exactly who he is. I mean, he is a walking double-double, getting one in 24 of 28 games. I think he's come up a rebound short in one or two. He's had a assist or two short for his first triple-double of his career. That's something he's still seeking, but he is a physical, hard-nosed, mentally tough guy that brings it every single night, and in my mind, he will absolutely be rewarded as an All-Star, and I think... St- Malcolm Brogdon will as well, um, if assuming the Pacers can get two guys. I was thinking about the Bucks. Giannis is a lock, but then who else? Is it Brooke Lopez, who who's probably underrated for his defense, steering that top-rated defense in the league? Uh, that was such they, he was making such an impact when they played the Pacers. Is it Chris Middleton? Surely the Bucks will get at least two guys, um, and maybe the Pacers could. But I think Sabonis would be the more of a guarantee than Brogdon just also because of the lack of competition when you compare forwards. I guess maybe actually that's more difficult because he would be classified as a forward and not yeah. as a guard. And forwards are obviously wings, and those are all more talented.
1: Yeah, and, and if you do look at the East—so it became—for such a long time, if you were a guard in either the Eastern or Western Conference, it was— you had to be exceptional to become an all-star. Yeah. And this year in the East, the people that are being considered for maybe fringe all- all-stars for the guard spot, because there's going to be at least four guards on the Eastern conference roster. Well, it's not a roster anymore because they do the draft. <laughs>
0: That's right.
1: Right. But it's like, it is Brogdon. It's like Spencer Dinwiddie. It's, uh, it's people sort of Trey young and, and, Trey. So Trey young, you gotta is consider him, I think statistically, point. but his team is so bad <laughs> that, it's going to ding him a little bit. It's sort of like how uh, Devin Booker got left off last year. I believe it was last year when he got left off. And just He was so good offensively and statistically, but his yeah. team was so bad. You know, and people still have a really tough time rewarding uh, guys with the – all, even just an all-star consideration. But Trey Young's going to be an all-star. You know, he just has – his stats are so overwhelming that it's going to happen. But it's, it's going to be hard – now it's harder to be in as a forward – and even as a center if they I mean you I think they could classify Sabonis as as a center if they really want to it just kind of depends but on how But they got rid of the center
0: it. position right, right. In, in voting for for all of that so that's different Yeah so oh, it's going yeah, ca- to it's going to come up to the the assistant coaches so you he could be the wild card in all of that and I think he's likable um and a guy that they hate scheming for so if I had to guess venture a guess right now, I think Sabonis is in and Brogdon is playing at a fringe level, it just depends on the other competition.
1: Um, and so we have you talk about other competition and and Pacers fans saw this very recently, and this is from Colin. Are the Bucks the only tell all for the Pacers on how much of a gap, quote unquote, gap there is? Pacers yeah. seem to struggle against the Pistons for whatever reason, but have beaten more talented teams. So it goes Pistons versus with Bucks here. Giannis is just a tough matchup. So are is the bellwether or the sort of the high water mark for the East, obviously the Bucks, and how much of a difference between the Bucks and the Pacers? Yeah,
0: this is a good question, obviously coming off of my article that I wrote about how how the Pacers are not at that elite level yet. And we saw in Sunday night's game just how big of gap exists. And and I think the mark of a great team trying to become exceptional or a championship contending team is how you match up to those guys. They are the standard, the Bucs are right now. And it, it's funny, though, because the Pacers played both the Lakers and the Bucks over this last week. They beat the Lakers, lost to the Bucs, won at home, lost on the road. But in all this, I think you just realize how big a gap exists. And, yeah, that's that's who they should be con- comparing themselves too because i mean what are you going to do compare themselves to the nets or or the the Miami Heat who do things very differently and they're very young and on the on the rise um much like the pacers i think that's that's how you set your own standard internally and i think they realize both the challenge in getting past them both defensively is tough because of how Milwaukee plays them differently than most teams how they force teams internal they want you to and almost encourage you to take threes and so the Pacers shot a season high 43s when they're averaging like 27 per game uh, which is one of the lows among the league I think when they're measuring yeah of course it should be against the Bucs and they learned a lot about themselves and where they stand in Sunday's loss
1: yeah and I think the Bucks have skewed everything in the Eastern
0: Conference. And, if you're worried and really about the Pistons, the you're doing NBA. something wrong. What's that? If you're measuring yourself or concerned with getting trounced by the Pistons a couple times, Pistons aren't even making the playoffs. The Bulls no. fringe playoff team, and that's an odd thing to say, but they actually are only a game back. Those aren't who you measure yourself against. You measure yourself against the elites, the, those that set the standard.
1: And I will say this about the Bucs, and this is – I will give them as much credit as possible, but there is some skepticism for me just because of what happened last season in their playoff run. And they are structured like a team more like the Houston Rockets than the Golden State Warriors in that they have this one distinct singular talent from which everything revolves around, and which is Giannis. And then they have these – they've built a tremendous roster that fits exactly around him – but when you get to the playoffs, though, that type of team, at least recently, has been less successful than, of course, teams that have two, three stars and then other really strong supporting players. So it's interesting. in The regular season, they're so dominant and the mm-hmm. Pacers can compare themselves to them. And typically, when every team that does that, it's a failure because, again, the Bucs are, are so incredible in the regular season. But I think the Pacers roster, not saying that they match up well. But when Victor Oladipo comes back, the Pacers are just going to be able to throw a whole lot of really competent to very good basketball players on the court, consuming all of those playoff minutes. It'll be interesting to see how they not only match up against the Bucks, but against, you know, the Sixers or whoever or, or the Celtics or whoever else is in the Eastern Conference. The, you know, the Pacers have uh, a unique team with their size and their scoring ability in, in pressure situations, not throughout the whole game in pressure situations, I, it's going to be, it's just going to be, when Victor Oladipo comes back, it's going to be extremely interesting to watch this team because they, they have a really pretty high ceiling once that happens. And,
0: but, and one yeah. thing among all that we learned, I think, a little bit over the last week, Mike, is the fact that Brogdon's a willing closer. Um, that's something they, they lacked outside of Oladipo. They really missed that uh, last spring um, as Oladipo rehabbed his surgery, is they did not have that closer, that playmaker. And what we know in the playoffs is you need stars. Right now, it could be in Sabonis Brogdon, and you're waiting on Victor. And then you also need playmakers, and, and Brogdon is one of those. And then it's kind of by committee, I think, with the rest of this Pacers roster. Because a guy, even something that interests me is what if you bring, you know, even a guy like McDermott up with the starters rather than one of the bigs, and that a little bit plays into small ball hand but allows you to be more versatile and allow you to um, be more of a threat I think along the perimeter and once Victor and Brogdon are playing together that opens things up for everyone else because those those two guys are great at attacking and getting to the rim um, so yeah it will really be interesting once Vic gets back and how the team adapts how he adapts and then once they ramp up to that, to that level and push for the postseason all
1: right, here's our final holiday. We're already on twelve. This is it. I wow, mean, I, think I lost track. eighteen questions, but also they've all been like reflectively the same Two. at various points. But it, you know, we're just we're giving nature. You know, that's what we're just giving out <laughs> all these all this knowledge about the Pacers. Final question. Okay, the Pacers are currently sixth in the East as we speak right now. They have twenty wins. The Celtics, who are second in the East, have twenty wins, but they've played three fewer games. They've, the Celtics have played far fewer games than a yeah. lot of teams in the a, NBA this season. But through two through sixth, one win separates all of those teams. Ultimately, where would you put the Pacers by the end of the season with a healthy Victor Oladipo, not in a power ranking, but where do you think they will literally be in the Eastern Conference when the playoffs begin? Where, what seed will they be?
0: I think about where they are. Yeah. The five or six, I think they're exactly where they will end up um, because of the things they'll have to overcome and, and the way they've been playing currently. I mean, what what's fun is this 2 weeks stretch of their season, this last week and then this week moving forward, because as we're recording this Monday night, Pacers will host the Toronto Raptors, then have a short break for Christmas, then play at Miami. They're the three-seed. And then uh, a New Orleans for the Holiday Brothers uniting. So in a span of two weeks, the Pacers will see the Bucks, Miami, Toronto, and the Lakers. And by that point, we will absolutely have a really good idea of how this team looks, at least until Victor gets back. and And I think they've kind of set where they are right now. I think it's these top six teams, probably in this order. Can Miami hang on to the number three spot? That one. That's that's something I'll be tracking. Um, And then I've been really impressed with Toronto has been able to do to maintain being a top four seed, even despite losing Kawhi Leonard and everything. And then 76ers, they've absolutely been a disappointment um, to this point. And the one thing I do want to highlight as well, Mike, is the fact at how big of deal home court advantage might be. Because these top six teams have combined for less than like 15 losses. None of them have more than three. Which the pacers and Raptors do, and the Celtics and Heat have only lost once at home. So that home court advantage may be even more important than it ever is,
1: well, and it's also it's good at, because the bucks are so much better than the next tier down, the bucks are on a tier by themselves the everyone, and then everyone then it really is Celtics heat raptors, seventy sixers and pacers. I think that is all at this point in the season, justifiably all one tier. And then it's there, there's a gap, and the Nets. Then Magic. it's those
0: other two teams that'll make it in, and yes. those might reshuffle two or three more times this season.
1: So the thing about that, though, is that the seed that you're in. So currently, the Pacers are the sixth seed. They wouldn't match if they. The Pacers are as good as they could possibly be, and they win the first two series. Then they would play the Bucks, most likely. You know, so it's like you. It's going to be very interesting to see. Sort of what shuffling happens at the end of the season, whether like if if the Raptors lock up the fourth seed or something, and you know that th- that would then put them on a collision course with the Bucks in the second round. So you know it's just all. That's these- a great
0: point because you, if you're in the East, you absolutely want to avoid the Bucks. You would as much long as rather, you can. Yeah, if you could put that off. Now, obviously, you have to play through other teams to get to them, but you do not want want to be that that matchup where you have to play the Bucks first or second round.
1: Well, and if I'm the Pacers, and you know, like, you know, this will be a discussion for another time because we are so far so from far. this. <laughs> but I if I'm the Pacers, I'd want to play. The Celtics to me look like a type of team that I would want to play if I'm the Pacers, because they also play defense, which the Pacers do as well, but they have no big men to speak of at this point. And the Pacers have two very good big men, potentially an all-star and Sabonis. And you could just kind of seeing that matchup. They also don't have great defensive guard play beyond Marcus Smart. You know, Kemba Walker's not a tremendous defender just because that's not who he is. So we just, you kind of want to see the matchups as they go throughout the whole season. You almost want to check the, the conference standings <laughs> every day and kind of see, okay, who would the matchup be in the first round this week? And I, I mean, it's going to be so interesting to watch all season long. The
0: tur- the Celtics are the team that needs a guy like Miles Turner, a rim protector, yeah. a, a defensive big man inside. And the one thing, though, that would concern me with that Celtics matchup is defending Kimba because he's mm. too quick for Malcolm and so we even saw the Pacers throw Edmund Sumner at him and then they also have all those wings and that's probably one of the Pacers biggest areas of need is that elite wing defender so defending Tatum and Brown along with Kimba um, would make things interesting as well because that means you're probably using the combination of Brogdon, Justin Holiday, and I don't know TJ I, I guess if Victor's back at that point again it's down the road yeah m- maybe <laughs> it's so, that makes things it's like this
1: speculation we're like we're, we haven't even actually literally hit Christmas yet and we're thinking about things that are happening in May right because
0: this is this is a point though like we talked about before coming on here this is a point in time when a lot of your average casual fans are just tuning in significant portions of their schedule right now um, I right. even have some of my friends. That haven't been able to watch much of the Pacers at all, just because they have families and any free times devoted to their kids or sleep. And so maybe now they're sneaking sneaking some time around New Year's and, and such to watch this team. And it's been a fun group. They're 30 games in and of 120, a very likable group, I think, um, on this entire roster. Um, so there's been plenty for Pacer fans to cheer about. But yeah, the postseason that's a long ways away. Let's just get to New Year's first.
1: <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'm, I'm glad we were able to do this because I think particularly because it's going to be, um, as you illustrated, the upcoming schedule is going to there's going to be a lot of telltale science to kind of figure out uh, as we go along here. So it will
0: be real interesting. Good stuff, Mike. I appreciate you uh, joining me here before the holidays and uh, giving me the 12 questions of. <laughs> For Pacer fans, from Pacer fans, whatever. However you want to phrase it, it was a good time. (laughs) Yeah, man. (laughs) All right, if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the Fieldhouse Files on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Google Play, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check us out there. And if you haven't done so already, I don't know what you're waiting on, but maybe this will push you forward. You can subscribe to The Athletic for all our written and audio content like this using our special promo code, using our special promo code, Fieldhouse Files. So go to theathletic.com forward slash Fieldhouse Files to get 40% off the annual price. This has been another episode of the Fieldhouse Files and we'll talk to you again soon. Awesome. All right, cool. I'll fix that blabber at the end and send you the uh, uh, ad reads and we'll get it done. Cool, man. Thanks Um, for your time. Those are really good. You're really good at that and making seamless transitions and no, that that's that this is exactly what I was hoping for. All right, I'll leave listeners with this last thing. If you're just now checking out the podcast, make sure you're subscribed to the Fieldhouse Files to be alerted with every new episode. You can do so on any platform wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, etc. And I can still offer you our 40% off promo code for The Athletic. There you can listen to our podcast ad-free as well as read all kinds of written content, including my coverage of the Pacers. For that promo code, you just need to go to theathletic.com forward slash Fieldhouse Files to get 40% off your first year with us. That will do it for this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, and I'll talk to you again soon.